A little urban rooster rings the morning. Breakfast on the rooftop orchard overlooking green. Green as the eve of enlightenment. Green as an old bronze guardian, still pretty. Green as the emerald city. Green tracks and trams, tween curls of orange dawn and underground dams. Scent of soil, potted place. Solar panel with a painted face. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solacene, the podcast where we imagine a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future. As Aaron alluded to in his poem, painting a picture of what the Solacene, or as we're going to be talking about today, a solar punk future could look like. This is the third episode in like a mini semester that we've done, a three-week exploration i suppose of the solar punk aesthetic first of all we talked about its general rules and guidelines and kind of what it comprises and then last week we broke it down as a genre and tried to create a narrative and then this week we're going to be kind of filling that world with technologies because that's really half of the aesthetic one half solar second half punk you and i bring the punk so today we'll be talking about the solar (laughs) It's true. So we each brought five technologies to talk about. We will go back and forth. You start. Okay, I'm going to start with my most boring ones, just in case people on YouTube are still watching. This will kind of turn them off. Okay. It's like the filter. It keeps the real fans. So my most boring one is 3D printers. Boo. Which is kind of lame because they are household names today. But also I was thinking, conceptually, it's magic. It is conceptual magic. I was reading a book, a solar punk book, and they were talking about, it was written in the 70s, and they were kind of talking about 3D printing houses. And it's like, that is kind of magic. It's magic. I mean, it's something that like, in in a myth, you go to the wizards, and he has this machine or device that he just whispers some words into it. That's how 3D printers work, right? They just whisper some, some rhyme into it. And it just composes something out of thin air, even though it's not really out of thin air. The term for it is additive manufacturing. Ooh, I didn't know that. Well, it's kind of like, because you know how they how they build things is layer by layer. Mm. They grow up like that, kind of. Whereas almost always what we've done through history is take a bigger thing and pluck materials mm. away from it to form something. This is like, I guess it's like baking. I guess baking is also additive manufacturing. I see. Or making smoothies. It's like that. So the 3D printers in the solar punk world, my primary use for them in terms of individuals would be to help sustain this DIY uh, maker economy, I suppose, and also fixer economy. Because mm-hmm. we talked last week about how really the archetypical hero of a solar punk story is the maker hero, the person who meddles and fiddles and alters devices especially electronics but this is not so easy a thing to do unless you are very well equipped with tools and screws nuts bolts and cables well we have a 3d printing friend i feel like every person has one of those yeah person who has the 3d printer and he was talking about how he needed a part for his bike so he just 3d printed it exactly and made it fit in without tools or whatever yeah i think that's pretty cool because it, it is. It saves resources. It's one of the things that makes me the most uh, reticent, to put it lightly, and just livid, to put it uh, heavily, to <laughs> do any kind of fixing work. Mm-hmm. Because always it's like, oh no, I needed the one sixteenth screw. I have the one fifteenth. That you yeah. can't do that. And so it's just constant runs to a hardware store, or probably most people just buy it online. And I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. But this is like. Whip it up. In the solar punk future, it would be a lot quicker than it is right now because I think mm-hmm. now it takes a long time. And also, crucially, it wouldn't just be plastic polymers, which is what is really the material usage that your average Joe with a 3D printer, so I guess not that average, will use today. Mm-hmm. It's actually like already people can use metal, concrete, wood, these kind of things, but it's more like industrial uses. I was reading that NASA made like a, they 3D printed a rocket fuel pump. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. So it's like you can, you can do these kind of things, but they take 
a lot of technologies and a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can kind of say in a plausible future that you know how technologies work, they become more consumer friendly, it just becomes more convenient. And actually, you can just beep, boop, boop, like a microwave and make a screw. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I was envisioning it. I think it'll always require a bit of knowledge of space and like dimensions and stuff. Yeah. But that will just come with them being more widely used. We'll adopt that knowledge because think about how much knowledge we have concerning electronics, not necessarily how to fix them, but how to function a whole range of different devices yeah and that came pretty quickly and it's just now ingrained in people it's true so i think if these technologies like 3d printing and some of the other ones we talk about that require like a decent amount of knowledge even i think in the future to handle it'll just be ingrained in us but what i love about it is that i love technology that in some way even if it is maybe a tool for convenience also helps teach you things and i think that this would help teach you things for one thing, because it would encourage more people to try and fix things. So it mm -hmm. would help them learn about torque and wrenches. Similar to how an oven might help someone learn about baking. It's true. You know what I mean? And I had a mini list of things that have been 3D printed. Because I wasn't 100% for this. Because I do think it, in some ways, it takes away some of the joy of building. And mm -hmm. it automates it to an extent that might be a continuation of the, the current trend, taking things out of humans' hands, in a sense. For sure. So here's a list, and you can just say yes or no. Food. No. That's a thing. Uh, homes. Yes. You think homes should be 3D printed? I think they should be able to be 3D printed. Yeah, the ability, I guess. Prosthetic body parts. Yes. Clothes. Yes. A replacement tortoise shell. It's been done. <laughs> I say yes. I guess, yeah. What else are you going to make it out? Paper mache? It's true. Violent? Mm, no. Okay. But yeah, I think these are neat science and magic. And I chose them to start the conversation because it was a difficult five things for me to find because in the future, I kind of want technologies to be a little bit less intrusive. So it was less so about picking five annoyances in life that I think should be replaced by new technologies and more picking five technologies that I think could be replaced with less intrusive technologies, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of, for me, replacing the quick Amazon haul or general online shopping for little annoying things that a mm -hmm. phone case, a phone holder, something mm -hmm. like that, that you can't find in person. Yeah, I think in the SolarPunk community, 3D printing is quite often touted as the most common yeah. technology that will be present. However, within the solar punk camp, there are two types of people. There's the people who are very much more probably like you and I, like we should just learn how to use our hands and build with wood and build with natural materials. And there's those who are like, no, the robots should do everything yeah. like that for us. And I think both of those can exist happily. Like they kind of do today. There's the people who are very techie, who just love using AI for everything hmm. and there's those of us who would rather do anything but that and we can exist harmoniously as long as you respect each other and I think in the solar punk future people will have a bit more of an awareness of still wanting to be competent and not wanting to have everything outsourced and yeah there's definitely cool plastic technologies that could be used and applied to 3D printing like plastic made out of cellulose that can then be decomposed when it comes in contact with certain bacteria, comes in contact with soil. So, kind of cool. My first one, I'm going to talk about communal ownership because I think that goes well with what you were just explaining. Yeah, but that's not technology. But just, I'm going to talk about some technologies within mm. it. I, it's too late. I'm mm. already prepared to things. already written it down. Yeah, so communal ownership. But the first thing that I found when looking into this is open source ecology, which is a project that is creating these blueprints for everyday machines, or maybe not necessarily everyday to us, but everyday for people working on farms and stuff. So they're making these blueprints and guides on how to make a hay baler, how to make a saw from scratch. Yeah. And they're open source, so anyone can access them. 
and they have on their website a bunch of cool examples of how people have taken these blueprints and maybe changed them to make something even cooler. Mm -hmm. And I think these communal knowledge pools are a cool way to use the internet and to use this existing technology in a solar punk way. Yeah, hugely. I always think, and this was on my mind a lot this week, of that thought experiment that if you went back in time 500 years or something, how would you actually be able to prove it? And mm -hmm. most of us would really, really struggle. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, well, there's a light bulb. And they'd be like, build one. And you'd say, uh, do you have any outlets? Do you have any mm -hmm. plugs or something like that? So I always think we have access to this crazy high-tech world, but we're all kind of just, it's pets. Basically. But we need to be the owners. Mm -hmm. So I think in the solar punk world, there'll be more of these open source communal tools. And of course, with communal ownership, there's the, the actual communal ownership of property and tools and stuff. And I think this is like very historic and very proven to have the ability to work if people are willing to. It's not necessarily a technology, but I still want to talk about it a little bit because we didn't get into it too much in the other two episodes. It encompasses technologies. So. Yes. So there's three types of cooperatives that I wanted to talk about. There's consumer cooperatives, which is where the customers own the business. This is kind of like mech, where in order to shop there, you have to pay like $5 to get a membership, but then you're technically allowed to vote in any company changes or a board member changes and stuff and i think in the solar punk world co-ops will be the norm for how businesses are run there's also co-ops where it's not just like customers are owners but where perhaps like when we go to a market every person who's selling is paying to be there and making the event run mm -hmm. i think there's just like cool ways to think about commerce and about getting what we need outside of the model that we're currently exposed to. And this also includes worker cooperatives where the workers own the business. So this is like Bob's Red Mill. When that shut down or was going to shut down, the owner decided to just give shares to all of the employees and then they have a stake in it. They get dividends and they, this is a very like economic way of doing it, but sometimes that can work too. And finally is residential cooperatives where Perhaps the tenants of a building get together and buy the building from the landlord. And then when you own something, you're more likely to maybe repair it, upgrade it, all of these types of things and make it better. And not just when we are just renting a place, we're just getting by. There's no point in buying a new oven when we're not yeah. going to be able to use it in a year or whatever. Yeah. So I think the ownership and then perhaps even when you're co-owner of a building, and then you do eventually move, you get some money for it. You don't just leave and then all of your investment stays behind. So just thinking outside of the box when it comes to ownership of things. And within the solar punk economy, a big part of it is owning less. Because right now, our inclination when we need to fix the broken clothes rack is to go out and buy screwdrivers. Yes. Because we don't have anyone to borrow them from or even just any place out on the corner that we could borrow them from. So instead we have to go and buy six different screwdrivers so we find the one that works. Mm -hmm. And then you're stuck with them, and it's kind of a waste of the materials needed. So just like sharing. Sharing. Sharing is cool. So futuristic. I know. I'll go for another really boring one, which is composters. Which I didn't know about. But these are already exist. Mm -hmm. You can have them in your kitchen. You can have them under your sink. I was thinking about in the future, they could just be some in public areas or on the street as well, which basically take about 24 hours from your apple cores and fish bones to nice, nutritious dirt. Mm -hmm. Ooh. And guess what? They are scent free. It's pretty cool. Ooh. Now these, what I was thinking about was how urban and dense solar punk is usually depicted it's one of those details that doesn't really come across in the images but okay everything's green and recycly mm -hmm. but where are the big piles of rotting food 
probably don't want many of them in the city, right? It's true. And it also seems inefficient to be constantly toting them out to the landfill and then back in a soil for all of your urban farming. Yeah. So this is basically a really practical and boring solution to smell and I feel like pests. I feel like big Mm -hmm. piles of banana peels, as well as being a slipping hazard, would invite rats. It's true. Yeah, it's cool that these technologies already exist. I think they're right now probably quite expensive. Well, I looked online. I don't want to plug them, but but you can buy them from like $300 to $800. That's Canadian Monopoly money, so it might even be cheaper in other areas. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just think this is a really cool, and I like small devices that you can imagine being gentle and kind. Mm. Remember in the fashion semester I said, if the garment was sentient, would it be nice? Yeah. Or would it be evil? These ones would be nice. Mm. Because you open them, you smell it. It's like when you smell like uh, cookie dough. Because mm. you know I have that strange fascination with soil. Yes, you're a big soil boy. Well, I, I always want to eat it. But I think in solar punk futures, obviously people will be more aware. And so there will be less food waste in general. So mm. it's not like you would have these going permanently and i was thinking like our tumble dryer the second step in the laundry has a very noteworthy sound a jingle if you will do you want to do a demonstration Yeah, Very so long. It is, incredibly. I think it's even longer than that. <laughs> it is. But it could be something like that, melodic. Maybe you could program it yourself. Mm-hmm. But I want it to be like the kids come running downstairs. <laughs> I want to smell it. I want to smell it. <laughs> you know like how when they're baking, I want to lick the spoon. Yeah. Like that, but not eating. Not, not eating it. We don't eat soil. But I do think it would be magic for them. In the same way that compost piles, you know, it's a, it's a core memory of mine doing the field trip tour of the local garbage facility. I think this would be magical and it's not like it replaces traditional composting. It just supplements it in cities. Yeah. And also I think it has some, I don't really believe the entirely the corporate claim that it entirely eliminates methane emissions, but I can imagine it it does so to an extent. Mm. And one of their big selling points is that it completely reduces the smell. Like it doesn't smell bad at all. Yeah, because it's so quick. It's so quick. They don't really have a chance they just to use, rot. They dry it, they mix it, and then they cool it. That's basically the process. But I was thinking there could be a slider. Okay. So that you're not completely detached from the process. Mm. Little stink. Big stink. Medium stink. Okay. I think there could be something that could add some, add a little bit of color to your life. And I was kind of contrasting this with drying clothes because I know that tumble dryers are not eco-friendly mm-hmm. you know they're often not touted as a great appliance but the thing with tumble dryers is that clothes dryers there's a very easy alternative which is just to hang up the clothes and there's nothing like there's no problem with doing that mm-hmm. most places you can do it in cities it doesn't attract pests it's not even that slow and it's pretty much fine mm-hmm. But with composting, there is a kind of a problem with doing it mm. the traditional way. So that's why this is, I think, a fairer solution. And also, even with the electricity in the solar punk, the grid will be clean. So not so big a deal. It's true. I've looked into different city composting methods. And besides these countertop ones, it is really hard because they attract pests. I find it cool, maybe if you lived in a slightly more rural area, the worm composting yeah, setups, I was about like that. those worm are farms. really cool. Did you ever have an ant farm? No. I feel like those are solar, solar pumpkins in a way. No way. Yeah. So speaking of tumble dryers, my next thing is called the Hydro Loop. So this is an existing technology, but it doesn't. It's not very widely used. So it uses gray water. So water from dishes, dishwashers, showers, yeah. laundry, all those types of things, and it cleans it and then reuses it. But the coolest thing I found was that if you have a tumble dryer, it captures the evaporation from the clothes and uses that. So it could maybe even capture the sweat from the air oh, and recycle it. T-shirt juice. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So it's just neat because it gives water a second life. And because the water is stored inside of the house, Mm -hmm. it then doesn't have to be warmed to be used again. So often when you're pumping in water in colder places like Canada, it has to be warmed in order to even come like be used in the washing machine. Not warmed like heated up, but just warmed to room temperature. So it's already at room temperature, which saves energy. You're having a guest over and you give them a glass of water. And as they're taking a sip, you say, that's my bath water. And then they go, Exactly. That's my spit take. So with the Hydro Loop, they do only reuse it for laundry, showers, gardens. Okay. They don't reuse it for faucets. But I imagine in a solar punk way, it could be used for everything. It's it's already been recycled. Water's been recycled for... Would you do that? Drink some toilet water? It would take some getting used to, (laughs) for sure. And I had, in conjunction with the Hydroloop, composting toilets, so toilets that don't use water, because then you don't have to worry about the recycling of the water from the toilets. You can just have them composting, similar to the countertop composting bin. Mm -hmm. And one more cool thing about the Hydroloop is that it recycles the heat from the water. So you get a hot shower, and then the water runs through little pipes around your house until it cools to room temperature and it's giving off the heat. Yeah. So it's like reusing every element of the water experience. I like that name. And I was, I didn't pick anything kind of architectural for my technologies, but I like that this is one of them. It's kind of this interesting blend of really ancient techniques that have gone by the wayside regarding efficiency and new things like this. So I think it's neat. And before I get into my next one, let me talk about the organism of the week. Do, 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 do. Robots. Aaron! What? Robots aren't organisms. Well, I came up with a Latin name for them anyway, <laughs> which is Homo silica. Okay, I like that. <laughs> so I drew one. If you want to describe it to the audience, this is my picture of a solar punk robot. So it's a square with a handle. And square eyes and rectangular legs. Yeah, and it also has a... It has a smile. Smile, yes, yeah. Labeled. Smile. Smile. Because it's to show that it's not evil. Mm. So... It's true it doesn't look evil. Exactly. I gave it the handle to give it that kind of friendly lunchbox GameCube feeling. Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't draw a person there for scale, but I think it would only come up to like your hips. Okay. I want it to be just... Bip, boop, bip, boop. And I labeled this also... The legs are either magnetic or sticky. They can walk up walls. Okay. And this was kind of a question that I wanted to raise. I didn't include it with the technologies because I wasn't sure whether we really wanted this in the solar punk future. I know they're often touted. What do you think about robots? You know how I feel about robots. I don't really like them. Not even this guy? He's cool, but I just don't like the idea of having these kind of humanoid or even like... I don't know. Let me ask you about microwaves. Mm -hmm. Do you like them? I could do without them. You use it. I do use it. Would you use it if it had hands? I guess. What if instead of you (laughs) pressing a button to open the door, you just held out the bowl and it had a hand that took it from you? Okay. Would you like that? No. So you don't like the human imitating-ness of it. You like it when they're more machine-like. Yeah. So when you watch how it's made, for instance, mm-hmm. in the factories, those big claws, you have no issue with them. I kind of do. They're creepy. do. They're creepy. But that's just me. I think that robots can exist in the solar punk world. But for me, maybe my house would have none of them. So I had some examples. There have been obviously lots of those industrial factory robots that aren't very cute and don't get mm-hmm. cool names or numbers. I was thinking this guy's name could be like the B95600 or something like that. Okay. But they call him... B9. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a Star Wars droid. Um, mm-hmm. Lots and lots of tales and myths from ancient times that essentially amount to robots. In Jason and the Argonauts, I think, there's that guy on Crete, the big bronze guy. Mm-hmm. There's also Galatia from ancient Greece. There's the, from Jewish legend, there's like the the golems, which are little clay things that kind of do people's bidding. All through the ancient world and medieval world, China, Japan, the Middle East, Europe, people were, have always been basically trying to build these, which I find really fascinating. Like there was 
some pretty detailed uh, drawings that Leonardo da Vinci did of a little mechanical knight that he wanted to build. It's unclear, unclear whether he actually did. And then fast forward to today, of course, where we have those every six months creepy video by Boston Dynamics of this militarized looking dog that can sprint mm -hmm. and do like gymnastics courses. Isn't that neat? Probably not, right? Probably not. And it's hard to put my finger on why exactly they're so creepy well, to me. This was my drawing. Obviously, what I included is, is key, but also what I omitted. It doesn't have hands. There's it's no true. hands or arms. So even if it turned evil, it, mm. it can't get to you. That's true. So that was crucial. Unless it went to build them itself, which would be a whole other problem. But I'm not talking about so much the sentience, the AI angle, more the, the form factor of these guys. Okay, so like they're machines. Yeah. Cool. There was this, uh, in 2006, Lego released a set called the Lego Mindstorms, mm -hmm. which was basically a programmable robot kit that looked like a tiny little Wally. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, I just find those fun, little companions. It is fun. Similar to when a child would have their dog that they raise and grow up with. You can have your little robot. Okay. I can see Sparky it. or something like that. Yeah. Inspired by the organisms of the week, we decided next week to start a new semester of organisms every week. But the organisms are humans. So we're <laughs> going to be talking about each week a different person who will be a solocyte, so a person who lives in the solocene. And we're using mainly people who already exist or who have existed throughout history. And there'll be a few people that we invent. Yeah. So without giving too much away, tune in next week if you want to listen to our biography semester and watch us on youtube and also we have a new podcast graphic so yeah. that's very exciting check out on the app it no longer looks like it was drawn by a three-year-old i'm joking it was a nice drawing that you did but now it looks a little bit more exciting inspiring i guess mm -hmm. and yeah we did six semesters of solacene covering degrowth education the internet nature fashion and storytelling and now we're kind of hypothetically at least populating this world. So I think it'll be mm -hmm. really fun discussions. Your next technology? My next one will go with modular fashion. So we obviously did a whole semester on fashion, so I'm not going to get too much into it. But modular fashion is fashion that's designed to be taken apart and reassembled in different ways. This is historic. Through all of history, people have been creating garments that can be fixed or yeah. reimagined but i think up until now within high fashion it's been quite gimmicky and even when you go online and look at existing clothing brands that use this model it's just like well you have a top and a skirt and they zip together into a dress it's like that's just called a shirt and a skirt yeah but modular fashion can be a bit more cool so maybe there's like a little panel in like the forearm that you can zip out and replace with a pocket can you reimagine what i'm wearing now in a modular fashion outfit uh, sense for sure so the hood is going to be detachable Ooh, so you how? can go hood or no hood okay probably just velcro boop, boop, rip. a lot of them are zips but that's just so bulky and yeah. heavy so i think velcro or ties ties look cool they do maybe i'm just in my like coquette and also hoodies already have often a, a little tie there a rope right so that is detachable sleeves perhaps detachable in two places so you can go to short sleeve or no sleeve sport mode sport mode <laughs> Because what Aaron does is he just cuts his sleeves off, but then they're not actually reattachable. The thing is, I have massive biceps, so I always want to... Oh, my God. <laughs> Kiddo. And then for the pants, I don't really like the gimmicky, like, rip off at the knee, because when do you ever really need, like, Well, if you shorts? are waiting. Yeah, perhaps. On the off chance we're waiting. But maybe what they could do is they could have changeable width. Changeable width. What about inside out? Inside out, that's What about cool. sometimes you want the waterproof and sometimes you want the warm or something, mm -hmm. something like that? Yeah, I think that's cool. And then, yeah, everything has to be reversible. That's like... <laughs> that's a given. That's a given, yeah. And then maybe you could have extra pockets that you can attach on with magnets or something. <laughs> so I'll use a few examples of existing modular fashion that I think is cool. There's the Thneed from the Lorax. The what is it? The Thneed. Oh, I don't, I don't know the Thneed. Oh, uh, well... <laughs> Is it, should I? You should. Okay. 
The thneed is a <laughs> scarf-like thing that can be used as a shirt, a dress, a hat, a hood. Okay. Everything. Sure. And it was a symbol of capitalism in the Lorax and overconsumption. It actually breaks down to two words, the need. Oh, okay. If you I'm not that, are I'm, really reading into I, it. I need to re-familiarize myself with the text. Mm-hmm. And in 1998, Juan Takahashi created this line called Small Parts. And it was a whole clothing line where everything basically could be interchanged. Pant legs for sleeves and bags for shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And then right now, some existing ones are Marfa Stance. And she has a coat model. So you can kind of invent your own perfect coat with hoods, rain hoods, liners, pockets, these types of things. And her color palette is a bit boring and the price range is exorbitant to say the least. For a base, it's 5,000 Canadian dollars. Is there something a bit um, unpersonal about this? Is there something a bit mass produced about saying yeah, I've got the modular t-shirt, the same as everybody. Because it's the opposite of tailoring and personalizing, kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. is In Solar Punk, it'll just be more how we design clothes. I see. It won't be like, yeah, I'm subscribing to the Nike mm-hmm. modular format. It will just be kind of like, this is how clothes are made, to be repaired and taken apart and stuff. That makes sense. Because it's like how Patagonia has their jumpers in all different colors. It's that... Yeah. You take out a piece and replace it. But you're saying grandma can make it instead of, instead exactly. of Yves Chouinard. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But there's one really cool modular design that I wanted to shout out that I showed it out to you last night. I was so excited. And it's called Petit Pli, yeah, which means I, little fold. I kind of just went... Oh. For my oh. whole life, I've been imagining kids' clothes that just grow as the kids grow and not in like a gimmicky like you unzip it do 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 these clothes they look so space age and they actually say on their website that they pass the mars test which means that they're lightweight useful in different situations and long lasting is that a real test or they just i think they might have made it up but i think we should adopt it for the solo scene that everything should pass the mars test yeah but maybe we can pick like something more ambitious than mars like it passes the saturn test yeah I think it's cool. So these clothes, they're all like crinkly and folded, but then you can kind of like stretch them out as the kids stretch out. And then like the ankles and the waistband, you can adjust and they just look so cool. Go onto the website and just look at them. They have them for adults too, which is cool. So perhaps if you're going through a pregnancy or if you are a person who changes size throughout the day, like some of us. Yeah. It reminds me of a slinky. It is well, like a Not slinky. quite a slinky, but what are those plastic, those kids toys that are like... I guess they, yeah, they like yeah, accordions, like but they're not, they don't, they're not musical. Mm-hmm. They're running of those. Yeah. So that's really cool. And then one more designer that I found is named Sophia Illuman. And she has a unisex and flexible sizing model, which is similar, shout out to us, to like how I was trying to <laughs> design our clothing line was with more flexible sizing. And it's hard for people to get used to. Of just like buying a size that's kind of just like numbers mm-hmm. or like a range. Mm-hmm. But it's good because humans change sizes and then you can kind of keep it for longer because the tendency is as you grow out of something or you change dimensions, you will get rid of it. Um, but with flexible sizing, you can kind of imagine it. Perhaps at first it's a more oversized fit and then it's like more snug and then it's a little bit shorter or taller. With the seasons, it goes on top or underneath. And it's just like, if you have it for longer, then you have more of a connection to it and you'll care for it. And I really liked about Sophia's line is that it's not boring. A lot of these modular designs are just like dreadfully boring looking Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, you want it to be timeless. It's like, but it can be timeless in like a cool way. Yeah, go on the website linked in the description of either the YouTube or the podcast and you will find Alicia's clothes and also Azine's new gilets this week. So exciting. Mm-hmm. Gilets, fests. My next technology is holograms. Ooh. And this is the one that I was most unsure of and I was most kind of just attached it out on air because there is this question of 
an increasing blur between the digital and real worlds that in general I'm quite opposed to, mm -hmm. which holograms might seem to kind of embody. But also I was thinking in some senses there could be a tactile element to that construction, kind of like a film projection. You know, like you need to be wearing yeah. the, you need to be wheeling the thing, feeding it through, looking at it. Maybe there could be something active to the holograms. And also it's just like, are they much worse than screens? I think, yeah, that's what I was going to say is even in the soul scene or in the solar punk world, there's going to be screens because but, we love, like yeah, movies are cool. But just not everywhere. Yeah. Like I don't like the, oh, I'm in a forest, let me pull out my whatever. Mm -hmm. But maybe holograms are even in a, in a way better than screens because they are more obviously digital. Like they, they have a kind of instinctive separation from a tree mm -hmm. rather than screens, which kind of, I don't know. I can see them being less addictive than screens. Perhaps just in, as you said, how they're made, maybe they're made with a yeah. projection technology instead of a just blue light that's like sucking your soul. It's very moot because they don't really exist. I mean, mm -hmm. I was looking into it for quite a while. Holograms, I'm doing air quotes for people just listening, they exist, <laughs> I'm doing them also, but I think they do so in the same way that a few years ago hoverboards existed. Yeah, like flying cards exist. No, but when people, you know, remember on Vine with the hoverboards, people were like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to go down the street, on my, and it's like, that's not what that means. Mm -hmm. That's not what that used to mean. It, it doesn't float. Yeah, So I think I, I think people just kind of misuse the term or... When they're using it, they're referring more to the creation of an optical illusion involving mirrors and projections. And mm -hmm. there is a lot of work being done on holograms. And I do think that it will exist, but that's also because I have been raised by cinema. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in sci-fi, there's always ho holograms. Yeah, it might be kind of like we were watching those drone I wanted to things. mention those. Yeah, in uh, there was a YouTube video that we watched for some reason. About um, a massive, <laughs> incredibly American uh, drone performance. That's right, drone performance <laughs> of the Nutcracker on Christmas Day. <laughs> and they were just floating above this American football field. How many were there? Like 800 or something like that? Or more? Probably more, like 8,000. Yeah. Uh, and they were just moving around and giving the illusion kind of of the Nutcracker. And what we were kind of thinking of, wouldn't it only work on this one plane? Like if you were at any angle, wouldn't it just look yeah. like a bunch of lights? Mm -hmm. And you were kind of saying, think about how many crashes it's going to cause, how many car crashes. Well, think about you're driving <laughs> on the highway and you just think the aliens have come Yeah, come in, the, in the form of the nutcracker. Yeah. Um, but maybe the holograms could be like that, but like little minuscule drones that fly. Giving that idea out there, maybe. not for free. They huh. seem kind of like the alternate version of robots. It's like, which path are we going to take? Mm. And I know which one I prefer. Well, yes, you prefer robots. I want to be able to shake its tiny hand. If they have hands. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I have two more. My next one is going to be quick ground fridges. That's an old technology. It's a very old technology. It's been around since agriculture has, and probably before, with like wine cellars and stuff. But obviously we've gotten away from cellars. I think we need to go back to them. Yeah, it's we need just a cellar. free cold. You need somewhere to hide. Exactly. If there's a tornado, be like Dorothy, go down into the cellar. Except she didn't. But you need she somewhere to yeah. be that the kids can be afraid of. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go down there. Get the potatoes. <laughs> Get the tubers. Get a wine. <laughs> oh god. So just bring back cellars. Ground yeah. fridge is like a company. It's just called Ground Fridge. They mm. really have a monopoly on that. Yeah. But that's just a plastic bulb that you put into the hole it kind of sucks like, that they were able to copyright that name yeah or trademark that name so cellars pretty cool i've been in one have you ever been in a cellar no i've been in a basement is it i've been in a crypt are there okay is it somewhere between those two things somewhere between okay. yeah so the cellar i was in was at a farm so they keep the potatoes down there to be replanted the next year and it's just cool. Very cold. And it's not that far underground. Like it's yeah, three, four feet. Literally cool. Yeah. And I just think it's very solar punk. I feel like there's this feud between cellars and attics. 
Mm. Which you fall on the sour side. No, I like addicts a lot. You have to hunch. Mm-hmm. I always had this fantasy of living in our attic. Of course. So but my I. parents were like, you can't. Yeah, I was about two feet tall, if that. Yeah. But also, then you'd go and watch Drake and Josh and be like, but I could make it work. Mm-hmm. I think they live in the attic. Yeah. So my next one is resource use tracking. Mine is so boring this week. I really wanted to come up with something, but then I thought people aren't going to like if I talk about electric frogs or something. So resource use tracking as in water, electricity, those tiny panels that go on the front of your house that just say numbers that you're like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, and you have to have someone come in to read the meter. Yeah, read it. But I think in the solar punk, we will have that language. We'll be able to read it ourselves. And also it won't be just tied to your house as far as i know there isn't a current way to also include charge that you get from elsewhere i.e if you charge your phone at work or something like that Mm -hmm. but i think also with how decentralized things like energy will be in a solar punk future compared to how they are now it would be an important like a genuinely important way rather than just a a kind of optional um hobby an important way of keeping track of what you collect, i.e. through, let's say, rooftop solar panels, mm-hmm. and what you use, and days of the week, times of day, months of the year. And I think it also kind of, in a way, gamifies resource use, mm-hmm. in, and that would be very helpful, because I know a lot of people really like are weirdly into those step counts on that the iphone does and that's like an incredibly it seems to me rudimentary like Mm -hmm. pedometer but people really like it and i think it does make them go for more walks as strange as that sounds and so i think this would i know for me i'd be like oh i want to beat my last week for energy Mm -hmm. use and it would help you even things like the the passive energy from when something is plugged in but not being used like maybe it would make yeah. you want to unplug your television or something like that yeah it would make you think about cool ways to maybe you invent the hydro loop it's like well i have all this heat from the shower i could use that yeah. to heat the apartment for an hour instead of turning on the heater mm-hmm. and it would just make you think outside of the box and more about your energy use and as you said yeah things would be more decentralized so perhaps your water comes from a well and your energy comes from your tiny windmill yeah i i I think if someone was suggesting this to me today, because I'm sure it does exist, like I'm sure there are home energy trackers that will let you, mm-hmm. and maybe there's an accompanying app that's really frustrating to try and sync, but maybe it does exist, mm-hmm. but it takes a few steps. I think today you'd be a little bit less inclined to do so because the idea of the carbon footprint seems so kind of 10 years ago and very misguided when we know about corporations and governments and their emissions compared to us leaving the television plugged in. But I think in the solar punk, that personal responsibility will be more of what we care about and will be a a more sizable chunk of total emissions. And so Mm -hmm. it will actually be a worthwhile thing. And also, it's kind of in keeping with the punk suffix because Mm. you often get the sense that corporations don't want you to know these things, that they don't want to make it intuitive to track your energy use and money And even when you go to a grocery store and it'll be like apples, this price per pound. And it's like, okay, there aren't any scales anywhere. (laughs) I always, I always complain about it because like they don't want us, they don't want you to be able to weigh it, right? Like they don't actually want you to know how much it weighs. Yeah. So it's kind of punk like that. It is. Knowledge is punk. Knowledge is punk. And my final technology is about knowledge. And again, it's not a technology, it's more of a system. (laughs) We had one prompt, and now you're saying... It's called (laughs) (laughs) student-led universities. Uh So these kind of exist already, and I didn't realize that. I knew that there was like one or two universities where you would create your own program. Mm. But actually, a decent amount of universities have individualized study majors. But in a solar punk world, I think this will be much more common, mainly because people will go to university for the sake of passion instead of because you feel like you need to or else you can't get a job as a front desk worker somewhere <laughs> because for some reason you need a university degree to do that education yeah so it'll be more individualized and i have this vision of people the students perhaps at the beginning of the year getting together and hiring the staff okay and like not necessarily all of the staff but maybe they're like 
there's this course that we have imagined. Perhaps it's a course where we are taught how to program house pets. Sounds a little bit, what? House pet, the robots. Oh, robots. Yeah, not real house pets. (laughs) Okay. Um, That's what I'm calling them. So where we learn to program these, but there's not, it's not currently being taught here, but we know this guy from the community who's really good at it. Could he teach this course? Isn't there a saying, it's like the chickens are running the hen house or something like that? Mm -hmm. What's the saying? I think that's it. So it sounds a little bit like that. But the thing is, people will be a bit more, they're not going to try and just have all courses like the history of rock and roll. No, but I mean, they're still not going to know what's best. Yeah, but that's why there's still a board of like, it's it's a whole system. There are some grown-ups. There are some grown-ups. It's like run by elected members of a board and they have to approve stuff but the students have more of a say in what's offered. Okay, and why is it so a punk? It's cooperative. It's reclaiming the education system because right now the education system is quite a machine for making money, but the new solar punk education system will not be a machine for making money. It will be a machine for learning. The thing is, I like the idea of a Dumbledore headmaster. Yeah, I know. You don't like that idea? I think it can work, but I think in some situations there can be these schools that are more for like creating these really unique, like my major is in plant biology and tree root systems chemistry, like yeah. just really specific things, which they can then go on to research and like make new developments. Whereas right now it's like you'd have to do first your biology undergrad, then your master's of biology, mm-hmm. and then like four or five degrees later, then you can get into the tree root biology. Well, one, th- one thing we talked about in our education semester was the idea of people graduating less so via checkpoints as in exams and mm-hmm. kind of quantified knowledge like that. And more so having a portfolio, whatever exactly. your course, be mm-hmm. it in the arts, which is obvious, but even if you're in some kind of STEM, having a portfolio of things that, that exists as a more reflective, diploma i suppose mm-hmm. something you could show potential employers after graduation which i guess there would be a bit more of a self-directed like a thesis thing to that even for undergrads even for high school students yeah so i do think some more decision making going to the students is mm-hmm. a good idea because we kind of treat 20 year olds as if they're still 10 year olds did you ever do those student-led parent teacher conferences when you were in grade school I don't really remember. We had those. Okay. That just sounds like a bad idea. It was. Because you're kids. Yeah. But when you graduate high school, you should be adults. Like, that yeah, should yeah, be the yeah, goal yeah. of the system right I now. Get it, I get isn't. it. I get it. So, you'll graduate with, like, yeah, obviously they know math and social science and stuff. Mm. So, then they can specialize in university. And also, there'll be ongoing kind of free lectures going on. And, like, these alternative methods of education besides the university system will be valued as well. So it's like, you don't need the university degree. You could maybe to like, go to a community workshop on welding and then you can become a welder. Like it's just, there's different routes. Yeah. I think it's punk, but maybe I'm just a nerd. No, you're punk. (laughs) My last one is solar powered devices. Solar phones, solar watches. Actually, we also did an episode about what the ideal technological ecosystem would be in the future. So if you want to look at the specifics of which devices I'm talking to, talking about, you can listen to that episode. I think it was in our fourth semester about the internet. Yeah. Or perhaps the fifth one. But solar-powered phones have existed and do exist. There's been a lot of work, even by like the biggest companies. Apple has you know, looked into it. Samsung released phones in like the 2000s. They look really terrible. And in the present day, it's rather inefficient Mm -hmm. because there's a small surface area and the phones need to be turned on their back and also the just like capturing energy from the sun through a small PV cell is, yeah, literally inefficient. So Mm -hmm. you could have it out there for like an hour and it will give you like a minute or something Mm -hmm. like that. But in the solar punk world, we can kind of just say, it's all that much better that mm-hmm. it would be completely feasible. And I also think it would kind of, again, gamify the process or 
take a little bit from the Pokemon Go ethos where the developers were like, let's get kids outside. And so rather than being tethered to the wall or to their, to their wireless charger, they would have to go outside. And when they're outside, hey, there's that tree. I'll climb it. And then there's kind of a close-up of the phone dropping from their hand because mm. they get distracted, which is what we want. Yes. The real world to take precedence. So that was kind of my vision. Heavily inspired by when I was a kid, we had one of those kinetic flashlights that yeah. was charged by wheeling it. I think that was a very 2000s thing. It, it was, I forgot about this. Did you have one? Yeah. It was so gimmicky. Oh, yeah. And the charge didn't last very long, but I was very enamored by it. Ours was black and gray, and it was just this idea of, because I didn't know what electricity was, still don't, didn't really know how things were powered. So it's just like, I can plug this in, or I can just, why wouldn't I just do this? Mm-hmm. And so I just did that a lot. It was very noisy, and it was, the light was just really weak. Yeah. And I remember sure. once I went on some kind of weird overnight school trip where we went kind of camping or hiking somewhere. Oh, I don't remember. Weird. I was probably about six. But everyone, it was like, bring your flashlights. And you brought that and one. And I brought that one. And it was just terrible compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just like skulking around in the dark. And it would maybe otherwise be quite a, a scenic because it was a naturey place. If you just heard this constant <laughs> whirring of my flashlight. But it it really uh, captured my imagination, so that's what I am picturing. Also, there's a lot of solar watches that already exist, even some solar smartwatches. Oh, really? And those, yeah, and those are a lot more feasible than phones. Hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. What about a kinetic phone? It's powered by your steps. Ooh. So it would kind of take the, or maybe it could even just be like artificially like that. You mean pretending to be? Yeah, so it's like you need a thousand steps to get 10 minutes on your phone. I feel like people would just not buy that phone. It's the only (laughs) option. Thank you all for listening. We cannot wait for our next semester. So see you on Monday for a new semester of Solacene. (laughs)